today we're going to start a new series on the book of Romans. How many have read the book of Romans before? How many have read all of the book of Romans? Good. We're going to start digging into the book of Romans. Before we do, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for this awesome day you've given us today. Lord, this chance to come and experience your presence. Lord, to come and experience your glory. Lord, to come and experience your mercy and your grace. Lord, I thank you for being in this place this morning. Lord, I pray that as the word is given, it wouldn't be my words, but your words, Lord. Even as I was preparing this, Lord, in saying, I don't want it to be my thoughts, but your thoughts. Lord, just move in this place. Move upon this series, Lord, that it would encourage, that it would instruct, Lord, that it would challenge people in their Christian faith, that it would push them closer to the glory of God. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The book of Romans, if if some of you are wondering why there's a table and chairs up here, we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. But the book of Romans is written by who? Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? It is a letter to the Christians in Rome. I want to say this. It is impossible. It is impossible to read this book and not draw similarities between the culture then and the culture now. This book is extremely relevant when it comes to the culture now. In fact, how many, you know, there's Christians that feel as if they are living in a culture that's overrun by evil. How many, how many know Christians that feel that way? Or you may, you yourself may feel that way. That we are overrun sometimes by a culture that is evil and corrupt. Now, I would say this. First of all, I think that's true. I think we are being overrun by a culture that's evil and corrupt. But I have good news for you, amen? Amen. Guess what? Guess what that good news is? It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. I promise you it's going to get worse. Because if when we look at what's happening in today's culture, it hardly compares to what was happening in Roman culture. It's gonna, it's gonna keep going. It's gonna, the darkness is gonna get darker, right? But the, listen, listen, the light is gonna get brighter. Amen? What we see from Paul in Romans is courage in the face of danger. We see him speaking truth to a culture that's built on lies. How many know what that means? He's speaking truth to a culture that's built on lies. Regardless of the consequences, Paul speaks. How many can say that about your life? How many can say, regardless of the, how many know somebody who speaks regardless of the consequences? I do. They can't keep their mouth shut. Regardless of the consequences. And I don't mean they're speaking truth, they're just speaking. Some of you have relatives like this, some have aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters. They speak regardless of the consequences, right, Sue? Hey, hallelujah. We speak, some people just speak, one person, Sue? Oh boy. <laughs> regardless of the consequences, right, Sue? Right. As we go through this study, as we go through this study, I want you to consider. How are you going to represent Christianity? How are you going to represent your Christian faith in the face of a culture that despises you? How are you going to represent your Christian faith in the midst of a culture that despises you? How many know that our culture is going down the drain faster and faster? It's being overrun by those who are offended. Right? Come on. Because everybody's offended now. Everybody is offended by everything. The culture is being overrun by those who are offended. It's being overrun because I can't, we can't say one bad thing about these people or that people or this person or that person or anything else. And so if somebody gets offended, now they can sue you. And so now people go, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to get sued. So I'm just going to stay quiet. Paul here speaks with courage. Paul here speaks to the Roman church with courage. He's speaking to a culture that hates Christians. 
Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6 says this. You say, Pastor David, is this going to be a tough word? Yes, it is. It's the book of Romans. In case you don't know, the first chapter of Romans is not a light word. But we're going to have some fun with it this morning. Amen? Amen? I'm going to need a louder amen than that. Amen? Hallelujah. Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 6 says this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was ascended from, descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power. According to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Amen. We are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Paul begins this letter by using the word a servant of Christ Jesus. A servant of Christ Jesus. He then says, that he is called to be an apostle. You say, well, what's the big deal about that, Pastor David? There's something significant to understand that regardless of what God has called you to do, he first requires you to be a servant. Amen? Before I am called to be a pastor, God called me as a pastor, but before I was called to be a pastor, I was called to be a servant of Christ. Amen? How many feel called to something? God has called you to something higher. God has called you to something greater. Before you're called to anything, you're called to be a servant of God. Before you're called to anything else, before you're called to any height of power or hierarchy, you're called to be a servant. We're called to serve. He then says this. I I like this. He says that he is set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart, consecrated for the gospel. He then says that Christ has been promised. And he talks about the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He talks about Jesus Christ being promised throughout history. Throughout history, his divinity was proven. We have received both grace and apostleship to bring about an obedience of faith for the sake of Christ. I like what one commentary says. It says this, the gospel, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? It's the good news, right? The gospel means good news. The gospel is big enough and great enough for the whole world. It must go out to impact all nations. We want it to impact all nations, amen? We want to impact nations with the good news of Jesus Christ. How many are excited about that? Paul, or Martin Luther, speaking about Romans, said this. It is the chief part of the New Testament. It is the perfect gospel. It is the absolute epitome of the gospel. Romans is regarded as one of the greatest letters ever written. Ever written. It is a letter to the church in Rome. During this study, I want you to consider this. During this study, I want you to open up your spirit and your heart to hearing the voice and truth of God's word. I want you to open up. I promise you, if you will open up your heart and your spirit, you will forever be changed by the good news that God is speaking through Paul. There is so much good news here. And I say that because, listen, as you know, Romans is not all rainbows and sunshine. Right? It's not all puppy dog tales. How many like puppy dogs? How many like puppy dogs? Raise your hand. Oh, good. You can have mine. Praise the Lord. This first, too old, it's all right. This first chapter of Romans dives into what some people would call offensive language. What some people would call hate speech. 
The first chapter of Romans dives into some offensive language and hate speech, according to certain individuals. But before we dive into that, I want us to keep this in mind. Before we dive into that, keep this in mind. Number one, God only speaks truth. Amen? God only speaks truth. And I want to say it this way. Regardless of our values, regardless of our cultural upbringing, regardless of what we have beaten into us by the education system and by media, regardless of all of that, if we accept this simple truth that God only speaks truth and throw the rest of it away, God only speaks truth. The truth of God's word is to move us towards righteousness. Amen? The truth of God's word is to move us towards righteousness. Paul's goal in writing the letter to Rome is to share the good news of God. The good news, the gospel of God. With those who are identifying themselves as Christians or as followers of Christ. Go to the next slide. It says this. To those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It then says this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul wanted to go to the Romans. He begins with this great encouragement for the believers there. Their faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul is praying for them. I like that. Paul is praying for them. And if God would allow it, Paul would be with them. If God would allow it, Paul would be with them. Go to the next slide. It says this. For I long to see you. Paul wants to be there. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. In order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation. Paul is explaining himself here. He says, I am under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I like that. It's clear Paul wants to visit them sometime. If he can get there sometime. But he gets, he keeps getting caught up in the work he's doing. How many ever got caught up in the work you're doing? You have an appointment. You, you want to visit some friends. You want to visit some loved ones. But you just get caught up in the work you're doing. You get caught up in everyday life. It's easy to understand that. But I like what he says here. He says that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Doug, if you could make your way down here. He says, I have something to offer you. And you have something to offer me. Right? How many know I have something to offer you and you have something to offer me? That's what Paul is saying here to the church in Rome. Susie. She's right here. I have something to offer you. And you have something to offer me. What is that? That is our faith. Amen. Amen. So it's important to understand that I have something for you and you have something for me. Paul has something for the Romans and the Romans have something for Paul. That's what it should be like when we get together. That's what it should be like when we spend time together. I'm not just lifted up by my faith. I'm lifted up by your faith. Amen. I want to be lifted up not just by my testimony, but I'm lifted up by your testimony. Amen? It's not about how... Listen, listen. sometimes it's not about how I, I can encourage you. 
I'm just saying, sometimes it's not just about how I can encourage you. Sometimes I want to be around you just so you can encourage me. Amen? Amen. Doug, how are you doing today? Doug, I, I would like to invite you to a restaurant. Amen? I, I am. I'd like to, I am mine. I'd like to invite you to the Calvary Cafe. Doug, come on up. Come on up, Doug. We're at, we're at the Calvary Cafe this morning, right? Come on over. I got some water already. We're gonna, if our waiter could get over here. Anybody, is there, waiter, please? Oh, waiter, how you doing? Oh, awesome here. oh, good. Ah, oh, good. Uh, we'll take two beers. All right, two beers. Bye. Thanks. All right. Oh boy, how's it going, man? Good. Good. Are you embarrassed? No. Oh, good. Of what? I don't know. <laughs> I like this restaurant, though. There's a lot of people here. I wonder why they're not eating. This is weird. We're gonna be here a while. Two root beers. That's exactly what we ordered. A couple of cold ones. Oh, yeah. Make sure you tip well. How many thought we were going to bring actual beers out? I got a question. How many thought that? <laughs> Gary said, we're going to have a meeting right after this. <laughs> That's why I brought one of the deacons up here. As a <laughs> oh, how you doing, man? The sun's shining. Sun's shining, right? Man, can I can I tell you something? I mean, man, you know how much God has worked in my life. Man, I, I tell you, I was a, I was a high school dropout, and God grabbed a hold of me and did what He had to do, and, and man, he, he moved me to places I needed to go. And boy, I tell you, it was so encouraging to where God grabbed me from nothing and, and, and brought me to where I am now. Just encouraging, man. I, I'm I, I want that to be encouraging for other people too. That are, that, that really are struggling with what to do with their lives and what God's calling them to do. I, I hope that's encouraging. Do you find that encouraging? Very. Good. All right, you encourage me now. <laughs> <laughs> with what? <laughs> My story? Go for it. Well, I was the same way. I was lost. I thought I was in control, but I really wasn't. And uh, when my dad passed away, I found out I was broken and completely lost. And uh, God saved me. And I gave my life to Jesus, and it's been good ever since. Man, that's encouraging, isn't it? See, I I didn't just encourage him, but he encouraged me, amen? Did he encourage you? Did I encourage you? Oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Doug. You, You know, there's no food. I don't know what's going on here. There's no food coming. Waiter, is there any food? Ah, well, whatever. <laughs> Health report, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Give Doug a hand. I like conversations at Calvary Cafe. That's what this is about. It's about us encouraging each other. Right? This is what Paul is saying. Paul says, I want to encourage you, but I want you to encourage me. Amen? Amen. Go to the slide just previous to that. That we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Both yours and mine. That's it. I love that. That's what this is about. Paul encourages them and says, hey, as soon as I'm able to be with you, as soon as it's possible, I'll be there. So we know that Paul wants to be with them, but we also know that Paul will only go if it's God's will. I like what, uh, there's some commentary here, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but it says this. When Paul wrote to the letter to the Romans, he had been a Christian for about 20 years. Are you hearing me? He'd been a Christian for about 20 years, and on his way to Jerusalem, he had three months in a place called Corinth, where he really didn't have any pressing duties. So this was a good time to write ahead to the Christians in Rome. This is just, it was a good time for him to write ahead, seeing as how he planned to visit Rome after his trip to Jerusalem. He had planned to visit Rome. As as Paul is about to go to Jerusalem, hear this, there is a warning from a prophet named Agabus. Say Agabus. There's danger awaiting Paul in Jerusalem. 
Paul isn't going to go to Rome until he goes to Jerusalem. And Agabus says, hold on, just so you know, there's danger. If he were unable to make it to Rome, if he were unable to make it to Rome, he's in Corinth, he has about three months where he's not doing a whole lot, and so now he can write a letter to Rome. And this is what happens. If he were unable to make it to Rome, then he must write a letter so comprehensive that even if Paul himself were not able to make it, they would still have the gospel. Amen? He wants to make sure the Romans have the gospel. See, contrary to some popular thought, we actually don't know who started the Roman church. We don't know who started the Roman church. History and the Bible tell us that it was neither Peter nor Paul. We don't know who, the the church likely, here's what happened, the church was started by some Romans who were present at Pentecost. They were present at Pentecost, and as soon as they returned home and they met together, this church spontaneously got started, and the news of their gatherings had made their way to other churches. Because of all this, Romans is different than any other letter that Paul writes to the churches. Romans is very different. Other letters focus more on the different churches and the problems that they had and some issues that they needed to deal with, right? Challenges that they had. The letter to Romans focuses more on God and his plan for redemption. The letter to Romans focuses on God and his plan for redemption. It's a letter that's filled with instruction and doctrine. If you have not read all of Romans, I want to encourage you. It's only 16 chapters. And yeah, we're going to go through 16 chapters of Romans. But I want to encourage you to study this on your own. Grow in it yourself. Study the book of Romans. This was, Paul was a father in the faith, and this is the father in the faith that's sharing truth with young believers. Amen? Theologians believe that they took this letter. Listen, this is what they did. They took this letter and they considered it so valuable that it was memorized. And it was often repeated during the meetings as well as it was distributed among the early churches. They memorized it. So Paul has now greeted them and encourages them, but now it's time to get to the meat of matters. Now it's time for Paul to give some instruction and doctrine. And so he says this in verse 16. Go to verse 16. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says to the Jews and to the Gentiles. He's saying for everybody, I am not ashamed of the gospel. How many people can say, I am not ashamed of the gospel? It is the power of God for salvation. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. I like what this commentary says. It says the gospel is not advice to people suggesting they lift themselves up. It is power. It doesn't have power. It is power. It lifts them up. Paul does not say that it brings power, but that it is power. And God's power at that. Amen? The book of Romans, the letter to the Romans, is God's power. It doesn't just bring power. It is power. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. What does that mean? It means the right way of living a godly life is shown to us. That's what it says. Do you want to live a godly life? I do. It's showing to us how to live a godly life. How to live in righteousness. In right, in right living with God. It says this in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Somebody say the wrath of God. Is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who by their unrighteousness, here's what they do, they suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. I like this because God has shown it to them. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. It's interesting that start that in this letter, starting this letter, which lays out the grace of God, honestly, the, the letter starts out about the grace of God. Paul quickly speaks about the wrath of God. Paul talks about the wrath of God right away. We should never forget that God is full of grace. Amen? But we should also never forget that God is just. Come on. He is full of mercy and grace, but He is just. There is an aspect of the wrath of God, not just in Old Testament, this is New Testament. Our thinking about the wrath of God can sometimes be associated with considering our own wrath. How many have ever had wrath? Come on. What's a liar? What's going on here? I'm about to have wrath right now. How many of you have ever had wrath towards your kids? How many of you have ever had wrath towards your spouse? Ooh. I've had wrath. I've had wrath. Our thinking about wrath sometimes is, is, is associated with how we are wrathful. We associate it with how many, what happens when you get wrathful? Anybody? Anybody want to volunteer? Jenny? <laughs> what, what, what are some things that happen when you get wrathful? I use some. You yell. <laughs> Caught you there. <laughs> People, how many know when you get wrathful, sometimes you yell? Sometimes, uh, sometimes it's not always language that's filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, come on. You bunch of perfect people. Come on. How many know that sometimes when we get wrathful, we yell? How many ever throw things? Come on. Hey, you got it. How many ever, how many ever got mad and threw something? How many of you got mad and threw something and it hit you back? <laughs> right? I watched a video. I watched a video of a guy that was uh, trying to rob a convenience store and him and another guy and he threw a brick and the brick bounced off and hit the other guy and knocked the other guy to the ground and they had to like drag each other off. It's pretty funny. There's anger, right? When we're angry, when we have, we get angry. We, We have temper tantrums, right? How many just have blind rage? There's some people that just have blind rage. That's wrathfulness. It's just, I mean, they're just seeing red. They're just blindly going crazy. And that's what we associate with wrath, right? But here's the thing. When we speak about the wrath of God, we should not consider it that way. We should not consider the wrath of God as a temper tantrum or blind rage. When we speak about the wrath of God, His anger is just and is ultimately defined by His love for us. How many know God is good? He's only good. And He's good all the time. God is good, He's only good, and He's good all the time, including during His wrath. It is, it is wrathful love. Amen? Why? Because His wrath is directed not at us. Sometimes it's at us. Come on. Sometimes it's at us, but it's at that thing which destroys us. His wrath is directed at that thing which destroys us. His wrath is directed towards that which drives us away from Him. Come on. How many know what I'm talking about? His wrath is now not wrapped up in anger and temper tantrums and blind rage. His wrath is wrapped up in love. And so when His wrath comes, it is directed at that thing which drives us away from God. We understand a part of this in good parenting. Right? If you're a good parent, as a parent, you hate that thing which would destroy your child. Right? You hate that thing. Your wrath is reasonable and rooted in love for and protection of your children. Right? A good parent doesn't let a child get away with everything. 
Come on, can I get an amen? If you want some, we're going to get some practical pastoring here this morning. A good parent doesn't let their child get away with whatever comes in their mind. How many, how many know when, when you were a young, Carol, when you were a young parent and little Bryce and Evan were running around, you didn't let them get away with everything that came in their mind, right? No, there would be chaos and destruction. I'm sure, uh, have, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> right, Doug? Chaos and destruction. A good parent doesn't let them get away with whatever comes in their mind. A good parent disciplines their children, right? Can I get an amen? amen? A good parent disciplines their children. A good parent corrects them and moves them away from that which would destroy them. Uh, there's a there's a pastor that I had growing up that his wife and children had come over to my parents' house and they were there for a party. And uh, my mom was cooking something on the stove, and the little boy, his name was Jordan, uh, went up to, it was Jordan or Rachel, it was one of them, went up to touch uh, the burner. And my mom, like, yelled, don't do that! In probably what seemed like an angry and wrathful way. Don't do that! And the mom of the child said, oh, don't worry. We let him learn his own lessons. <laughs> Are you kidding me? As a child, we want to guide them away from that which would hurt or destroy them. The best analogy of the wrath of God uh, I've, I've ever heard, ever heard, concerned a boy who was in the market with his father. And I want you to listen to this carefully. His father was looking at something when the boy wandered off and encountered a rabid, gnarling dog. How many have ever seen a rabid, gnarling dog? Just an angry, nasty dog. The father looked on as his son wanted to play with the dog, but didn't understand that the dog wanted to kill him. Soon a crowd was gathered as they urged the boy away from the rabid and deadly animal. Get away from there, boy. The boy put his hand out, and just as the dog was about to pounce, the father tackled him down. The dog attacked with ferocity. He was clawing and biting as the father wrapped his arms around its muscular neck. The dog continued to attack as the blood and the foam mixed together. As violent as the animal was, the father's love for his son was even more violent. And so his muscles flexed and his grip tightened. And he cried out in agony and squeezed even harder until he could hear the cracking of the rabid dog's neck. Finally, the dog went limp. And the father released him. And as he got up, his body was covered with scratches and gouges and blood. The violent struggle was both a result of the father's wrath and the father's love. It was a result of his wrath and his love. We just celebrated Easter. We looked at the bloody brutality of the cross. Do you remember Jesus hanging there, mangled and torn? Do you remember how bloody it was? It was a model of the Father's wrath as well as the Father's love. Amen? Paul then speaks about humanity as a whole. He says, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. What can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. He's shown it to them clearly. And here's how. Go to the next slide. It says this. For His invisible attributes, namely, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. What is that saying? That his divine nature and his eternal power are perceived in creation. 
Number one, His divine power, His eternal power, His divine nature are perceived in creation, in the things that have been made. So they, who? Who's they? Everybody. We are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Listen to this. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I had a conversation a few weeks ago with someone who who had brought up, what if somebody had never heard of Jesus or heard of God? What happens to those people? Paul here is saying that all of humanity is without excuse because God has made himself known by his creation. God has made himself known. We are born in knowing about God because we see what God has created. But there are those who choose to ignore God and replace God with something less than God. Amen? Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of God and worshiping creation rather than the creator. How many know there are people who worship the creation rather than the creator? They have a concept of God. I believe we have a concept of God. Sometimes people have a concept of God. The problem is they don't take it far enough. The problem is that they don't take it far enough. There are some people who claim to have no belief in God. They're called atheists. They have no belief. I'm not talking about agnostics who say they just don't know. I'm saying hardcore atheists who say there is no God. By the way, just so that's an inherent lie. That's an inherent lie. They have a God. Their God is just lower than it should be. For most atheists, their God is science. Some, some people say, well, I believe in science. Okay, science is your God. If you've made science your God... You have, you have been worshiping something lower than God. Come on. If some people say, I only, how many know people like this? How many say, I only believe in myself? Come on. Well, that's, that's gaining traction more and more today. Just believe in the power of yourself. It's unfortunate that they have made themselves their own God. They have made themselves their own God. You see, because everybody serves a God. Everybody serves a God, whether it be big G God or little g, their their own God. Everybody serves a God. The problem is that many have ignored and replaced the creator God with something less than him. That's what Paul is speaking to the Romans here. We are all without excuse. I like the way the message says this. It says, they traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. In doing this, Paul tells the Romans that God has given them over to themselves and whatever destruction it leads to. They so adamantly wanted to live according to whatever their own flesh desired that God said, okay, let's just see where that goes. Let's just see where where you end up there. Therefore, here's what it says, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts. Are you go to the next slide, sorry. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed in their passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, here's the thing. Uh, we've talked about this before. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but we know what's natural and what's not. Amen? 
What's natural is what aligns with our natural physiology. You say, Pastor David, if we're, if we're not talking about a moral question, which we are, if, we're, if we leave the morality out of it, if we just take the physiological aspect of it, we know what's natural is what aligns with our natural physiology. One translation says this, that in being sexually confused, in being sexually confused, they exchanged what was natural. I want to say this, regardless of what the culture says, regardless of what society says, the truth of God's word lines up with the truth no matter, no matter what we think. No matter what our opinion is, no matter what the media tells us, no matter what the culture tells us. Remember what I said at the beginning of the sermon. God only speaks truth. Amen? God only speaks truth. If, 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 we, if we get rid of the, the concepts that culture put upon us, if we get rid of the precepts that media has just bashed into us, if we put that off to the side and just, just very simply go, okay, if I'm a Christian and I believe in the Word of God, I believe the Bible to be true. I believe God's Word to be true. Regardless of the culture, regardless of my upbringing, regardless of my opinion, I believe God's Word to be true. If we can simply start there, then we can understand this. God only speaks truth. I would also add this. Where our culture is now in regards to sexuality, where our culture is now is still nothing compared to where it can go. Where our culture is now is still nothing compared to where it can go. Uh, There's a commentary by David Guzik, and it says this. It says, Paul wrote to a culture, listen to this carefully, Paul wrote to a culture where homosexuality was accepted as a part of life for both men and women. For some 200 years, listen to this, the men who ruled the Roman Empire openly practiced homosexuality, often with young boys. At times, the Roman Empire taxed approved homosexual prostitution and gave boy prostitutes a legal holiday. Think about this in in American culture. 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, where were we 20 years ago? Where were we 30 years ago? Where were we 10 years ago? Where our culture is now is not nearly as bad as it's going to get. I promise you that. At the very time that Paul wrote this, legal marriage was uh, between same-gender couples was recognized, and even some of the emperors, the leaders of the nation, married other men. At the time that Paul wrote this, Nero was emperor. How many ever ever heard about Nero? Nero is a pretty nasty dude. After he was he was the emperor of Rome, he was the leader of Rome. After he kicked his pregnant wife to death. He took a boy named Sporus and had him castrated, then married him. And by the way, this wasn't done in secret. It was done with a full ceremony. They brought him to the palace with a great procession and made the boy his wife. Later, this man Nero lived with another man, and he was the wife. To those who would claim that love is love, God would say it's unnatural, it's dishonorable, and it's shameful. Say, Pastor David, that that, that would be considered hate speech. That today that would be considered hate speech, hate speech. But again, I want to tell you this: that's a lie too. That's not hate speech. That's love speech. It's love that wants those who are bound by unrighteousness to live rightly before God. You say, Pastor David, I want to make this clear. I want to make this very, very clear as Christians. We should not hate or be hateful toward any homosexual or transgender person. Do you understand me? We should not hate or be hateful towards any homosexual or transgender person. When I think about those who are tortured and confused in their minds over their gender and their sexuality, honestly, it causes me to have compassion for them. 
not hatefulness, but compassion for them. What happens is is that many times these these people in fighting the urges and the things in their mind and fighting this gender dysphoria and fighting this gender identity disorder, they simply give themselves over to it. In fighting it, they simply give themselves over to it. In a culture that tells them to live out their feelings, just live your truth is what they're told. It's easier and easier for them to embrace what's unnatural. And you say, well, Pastor David, hold on a second. That's their business, not mine. Pastor David, that's their business. That's not mine. I just, I'm just here to love them. Pastor David, I'm just here to love them. After all, Pastor David, you have to hate the sin and love the sinner. How many ever heard that? Yeah. Right? We ever heard hate the sin, love the sinner. So we just, we're just not going to say anything. We're just going to love them. Here's the problem with that. That's not exactly a biblical stance. The problem with that is it sounds good. It sounds great, but it's not entirely biblical. Wouldn't you plead with someone to not commit suicide? Wouldn't you plead with someone who is destroying their lives with drugs and alcohol? Just because certain sins are considered acceptable by culture doesn't make it any less destructive. It doesn't make it any less destructive. Our compassion for them should drive us to share God's truth with them in love. That should be emphasized. In love. Not only that, but God's word is clear that his wrath, listen, at times his wrath falls both on the sin and the sinner. When we talk about the wrath of God, sometimes it falls both on the sin and the sinner. We should practice the love of God in lovingly directing them towards righteousness so that they may live in a place to where they're not confused. They may not listen to you. They may reject you. But it's our job to lovingly direct them towards the truth of God's word. Amen? That's our job. Paul then goes, and I want to say this before we move forward here. Um, I've talked about this person a couple times a friend of mine from uh, Indiana uh, named Kelly. Kelly has a, a partner and her, her life partner, and they have a child together. And uh, Kelly is one of my best friends. To this day, I could call her up and, Hey, Dave, how's it going? Hey, Kelly, how you doing? Her partner is a marathon runner, and she was in a, in, um, normally goes to the Boston Marathon. During the Boston Marathon bombing, Uh, First thing I did, I heard about it. I called Kelly. I was concerned. I said, is she okay? She said, I actually wasn't able to make it this year, but thank you for your concern. I love Kelly. Kelly knows it. Kelly also knows that whenever we have lunch, whenever we get together, I'm going to share the truth of God's word with her. She knows it. She she says, David, you can talk to your blue in the face. It's not going to change my mind. I said, Kelly, you know, you can do the same. It's not going to change my mind. God wants you to live in righteousness. God wants, God wants you to, God wants your partner to live in righteousness. You say, Pastor David, what does that mean? What are all the implications of that? What about culturally? What about the child? What about this and this and this? Our goal is to live in righteousness with God, not righteousness with a culture, not righteousness with our opinions, not righteousness with, with what's being portrayed on media. Because I tell you, there's times where my kids can't even hardly watch commercials anymore. The agenda is being pushed further and further and further. And I'm telling you, what was was unheard of 20 years ago will be unheard of today. I'm telling you, 20 years from now, we'll go, oh, that was nothing. 20 years from now, 40 years from now, we're going to go, Man, do you remember back when it was just that? The culture is going towards darkness, but there is a light in Jesus Christ. Now I want to, you know what? Man, it is 12.02. (laughs) I have five more pages of notes.
I have five more pages of notes. Wow. My hope was to get through a chapter a week to do 16 weeks. Boy. Can we stay till 1 o'clock? Is that good, Gary? No? Can we stay till 1 o'clock? I want to end it here. We just, we just started talking about homosexuality, shameless acts. We're going to get into the other aspects of unrighteousness next week. And we're going to move into what judgment is, what it is and what it's not. I like that. I like what it is and what it's not. But all of this is God's love for us. Amen? All of this is God's love for us telling us, I want you to live in right rightness. All of this is, is Paul saying to the Romans, God wants us to live in righteousness because he loves you. Because he is a good, good father. Amen? I want to hear that song again. He is a good, good father. Let's all stand this morning. Lord, I thank you this morning that you are a good, good father. Lord, I thank you for the time that we had to to pray with each other, to spend time in your holy presence, to be comforted by your word. Lord, I pray that you would guide us towards righteousness. That we, Lord, you know we live in a culture that's moving towards unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom and compassion to lead people towards righteousness in a loving manner. Give us opportunities to witness you this next week. Give us opportunities to share about your grace and your mercy. Give us opportunities to help lead people towards righteousness. Lord, continue to lead us towards righteousness. Continue to guide us. Lord, I pray over each person in this place and those hearing my voice. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, that you would give them rest. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you next week.